Hello, and welcome back to the HSAC podcast. For those of you that don't know, we are the Harvard College Sports Analytics Collective, a group of undergraduate students dedicated to the quantitative and statistical analysis of sports. We break down the numbers and advanced metrics behind all your favorite teams and players, trying to bring useful insights to the game. I am David Arco, a rising sophomore at Harvard College, and today I am lucky to be joined again by two great guests and fellow HSAC members, Buddy Scott and Chris Chang. On this episode, we will be recapping the first three rounds of the NBA playoffs, discussing some of the big storylines, analyzing the finals matchup between the Phoenix Suns and Milwaukee Bucks, and making our predictions. Buddy is the current co-president of HSAC and is a rising senior studying economics and government and is a setter on the Harvard men's volleyball team. He's an NBA salary cap junkie and is currently interning with the NBA Players Association as a basketball-related income intern. He also just launched his own basketball podcast called Buddy Ball, and you can also follow him on, on Twitter at BuddyScottNBA for all salary cap-related information and more. Chris is also a co-president of HSAC and is a rising junior studying computer science and economics. He's written an article about predicting NBA three-point shooting from college player performance. You can check out Chris's article on our website at harvardsportsanalysis.org. So I think a great way to recap, you know, the opening three rounds of the playoffs is to revisit our playoff predictions. So just a reminder to our listeners that on our last episode, our NBA regular season recap and finals preview, we did kind of a survivor pool where we each took turns drafting any one of the 20 teams that were in the playoffs. And after the draft, we decided on a tiered point system where we each would get one point for a correct first round winner, two points for a conference semis winner three for a conference finals winner, and now four for the champion. So now heading into the finals, the standings are, Buddy, you are in the lead with six points. So you nailed the East. You got the Nets, that's worth one point, the Hawks worth two, and the Bucks worth three, who are now in the NBA Finals, assuming they don't do more. And you got nothing in the West. Chris, you have second with five points. You got the 76ers in the East for one point, the Nuggets in the West for one, and the Suns in the West for three points. And lastly, I am in last place with three points. I got completely shut out in the East and got the Jazz for one point and the Clippers for two in the West for a total of three. So it comes down to the final matchup. Buddy, you have the Bucks. Chris, you have the Suns. Whoever wins this final matchup will win the HSAC Survivor Pool. Obviously, we're not going to talk about all the series. That's take too much time to, to, to go through. But I think a good place to start to kind of get a lens for this whole playoffs is to talk about, I want... Each of you, I guess, what would you say was the most interesting series to watch? Uh, For me, it was probably Milwaukee, Brooklyn, just because, I mean, at least, you know, before Kyrie got hurt and then maybe once Harden got back, like this answer is kind of selective, but it, it really just seemed like that series was at such a high level. Kevin Durant was amazing. And as we saw, I think if his feet were a little bit smaller, the Bucks would be eliminated right now. So that, that was just such a high level series, a lot of coaching adjustments. It obviously went seven and not a lot of these series have gone seven. Actually, I was pretty confident that the winner of that series would make the finals. You kind of touched on it with our predictions. So I picked all of the nets, the bucks and the Hawks. I also picked the heat because I thought that the heat would be playing the Knicks in the first round. So the Hawks was kind of like my throw in. Cause I thought they'd be playing the Bucks since we recorded a few days before the regular season ended. Um, so I guess I kind of just got lucky that the Hawks played the Knicks and then 
upset the Sixers. But yeah, that's my long way of saying Nets Bucks was the most interesting series for me. I guess I'll take the opposite sort of way of thinking about things. I thought the most interesting series was Phoenix versus Denver because it was an absolute sweep, partially because every time Chris Paul hit a big shot, I was thinking to myself, oh, I wonder what Buddy's thinking right now as his Denver Nuggets crumbled. But I thought that was interesting because uh, I, I know there's a lot of speculation about Phoenix going in. Obviously, I had chosen Phoenix as one of my teams. I think they've done a great job this year. I mean, I saw some crazy stat, like they're the first team to make the finals after 10 consecutive years of not making the playoffs. That was in the Eastern or the Western semifinals. So there was some questions about, oh, well, they, they beat the old beat up Lakers with hurt LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who can barely stand. And so are they really legit? And to come out like that and sweep the nuggets, I thought was really solidified their position. And then especially the way that Chris Paul just took over that series at age 36. I thought that was pretty incredible to watch. Well, the Nuggets were missing Jamal Murray. I mean, he's not the same as Anthony Davis, but you're getting into something. We're, we're going to get into that a little bit later, talking about you know the injuries in this year's playoffs. But I definitely I agree with Buddy. I think most people are going to say Nets versus Bucks. One that might slip through the cracks is the Clippers and the Mavericks. Also a rematch of last year's first round. And this was kind of a very interesting back and forth series. The Clippers are one of the heavy favorites going in with the healthy Kawhi. The Mavs went up 2-0, then the Clippers came back 2-2. Mavs went up 3-2, so then the Clippers had to survive two elimination games, which they did. This series also had you know incredible performances by players. I think Luka averaged 36 points a game, 10 assists, and 8 rebounds in the series. There was also some vintage Kawhi. He averaged 32 points a game in the whole series, and he had that elimination in game six where he dropped 45. So it was nice to see you know Kawhi put the team on his back. And it's too bad, you know, we're going to talk about injuries more that he got injured in the conference semis against, against the Jazz because otherwise we might be having a different conversation here. It might be, you know, talking about the Clippers playing the Bucks. Not saying that the Suns wouldn't have beat Clippers without Kawhi, but, you know, you're missing your best player, one of the top five players in the league. Obviously, things could be different. So, yeah, I think talking about matchups now, we can transition to talking about um, best players of the playoffs so far. So this can be someone that's on a team that's already been eliminated or someone on the Suns or on the Bucks. Well, I think that, I mean, two names that have already come up are Kevin Durant and Luca. They were absolutely phenomenal. Unfortunately, both of them, you know, are, are not in the finals, but the way that Kevin Durant put that uh, Brooklyn team on his back was absurd. And that basically perfect game he had um, over Milwaukee was absolutely absurd. And especially coming off of the Achilles injury, I think that was pretty incredible. And so for him, I know we'll talk about injuries later. I thought it was interesting that, you know, maybe he actually benefited from the structure of the season being later um, because he didn't actually play um, in the previous season. There's still the toll of the shortened season, but by starting later, you know, I think it may have given him a little more time to heal from that Achilles injury and obviously all of his hard work. Um, And then Luca, um, he's a very polarizing player he puts up absurd numbers but at the same time his usage rate is through the roof i think it's something like 40 percent um in the playoffs and so even though he can take over a game you you sort of wonder well can the team really play at its full potential with luca there um even though he like individually performed extremely well the first guy i'm going to say is reggie jackson who i think was 
great these entire playoffs. He's one of those guys where he has a lot of like on-ball creator skills. He kind of needs the ball in his hands to be a productive player. But throughout his whole career, I don't think his like performance has really justified him being that guy, which is why, you know, he got bought out by Detroit in the 2019-2020 season, signed for a rest of season minimum contract. And then this year has been on a minimum contract too, because sure he has talent, but it's not like you're just going to have Reggie Jackson be like your first or second option. So it was really great in these playoffs to see him. I I think he averaged 18 points a game, shot like 41% from three. And he just looks so confident out there. He was great. He, I mean, him and Paul George, who also had a great playoffs, except for a few moments, um, they really put the Clippers um, on their, their backs. Um, The one thing I wanted to bring up with Reggie Jackson, and this kind of gets into the salary cap stuff that I'm pretty plugged into is that, the Clippers are actually limited in what they can pay him. Like because he's coming off a minimum contract and he's only been on the team for two years, not three, he doesn't have full bird rights. So the Clippers can only pay him, I believe 105% of the average player salary in the league next year, which is about $11 million. So if there's any team that's offering more than that, they can outbid the Clippers, which I think is kind of a flaw in the collective bargaining agreement, but that's an interesting part of it. So hopefully he'll come back to the Clippers, but he almost played so well that another team might offer more than what the Clippers can offer. And the other group of guys that I want to highlight is just pretty much every Atlanta Hawks player, I think really played well. I mean, I I think first of all, we didn't really know what to expect from Trey young in these playoffs and take away the, the injury. And then that last game he came back for, he clearly wasn't ready, but the rest of the playoffs, you know, on the road in Madison, Madison Square Garden, on the road in, in Wells Fargo Center, he was amazing in those two series and really proved that he's like this young star. And just a lot of the, the other Hawks guys that maybe aren't household names, like a Clint Capella, Gallinari, Herder, even Cam Reddish in, in that last game. I, I think the Hawks fans have a lot to be hopeful for moving forward. They have this young core that I think had a lot of potential. And now it's been shown that like they can compete all the way up to a conference finals. So Pretty much all those Hawks players were really impressive as well. One other player I wanted to highlight was uh, Seth Curry. I think he really rose to the occasion. I, I wrote down some stats here. He scored 18.8 points a game on nearly 58% field goal shooting and 50.6% three-point shooting on 31.8 minutes per game in the playoffs. And so those are just extremely efficient numbers. And um, obviously the Sixers didn't make it out but he was the reason why they were still there in game seven, to be honest. And so I thought he played incredibly well and deserves a lot of credit. That's good that you guys highlighted, you know, some of the other like role players like a Reggie Jackson or a Seth Curry, because oftentimes we just think of, you know, the stars who put up these massive numbers when there's plenty of other players that are outperforming their expectations and equally deserving of, of recognition. So this year, it's hard to think of specific players that have dominated throughout the playoffs, but there's specific performances that come to mind, specific games. CP3 had those two closeout games when in game four against the Nuggets, where you had 37 points. Game six against the Clippers, 41. Paul George had some great games. Embiid also had some some very big games. And then Chris Middleton also, I think he had that 20-point fourth quarter in uh, one of the games against the Hawks. So yeah, just a lot of solid you know, very memorable performances by individual players. But when Chris brought up Seth Curry, keeping them in the series, this leads into my next question for players that were very disappointing throughout the playoffs. And the reason it leads perfectly into it, I guess I can start this one off is that 
for me, it's obviously, I think Ben Simmons. For me, I can just throw out some stats. In the playoffs, he had averaged 12 points a game. He was 25 of 73 for a percentage of 342 from the free throw line. And in the last four games against the Hawks, you know, when Doc Rivers was asked afterwards, is he a point guard or championship team? This is what matters when you're in the playoffs and can you do it in the clutch situations? In the last four games, he scored 11, eight, six, and five points. So I think the clear answer to that question is no. And yeah, I think for him, he was probably the clear, most disappointing player of the playoffs. I'm curious if you guys agree or if you think there was someone else who also kind of wet the bed. I definitely agree with the that Simmons was quite underwhelming. I was also going to bring up the 34% from the free throw line stat, which I think is a, even a bigger deal because he was being intentionally fouled. Like it's not like he was shooting one or two a game and he just, you know, the sample size was, was pretty small. I think he shot over six a game and he shot 34%, which is just utterly terrible. And I, I think that play, I believe it was game seven, like right at the end of it, where he passed up the open dunk to give it to Matisse Thibel, who is not a good free throw shooter. So that potentially three point play turned into one point. You could see it on, on Joel Embiid's face. He was like, wow, this is the other co-star that the the process gave me. Like, so I think Simmons had a very underwhelming playoffs, but I also think that recency bias is making fans and maybe even teams way too low on him. Like there's all these other stats that you can look at. Like his, his PER was still like nearly 20. His win shares per 48 was quite high. Like he was, and he averaged like eight rebounds and nine assists. So like, yes, I, I'm not trying to say he had some, some great playoffs, but I also think he's like definitely a star that if the Sixers are just almost just like trying to get off of his money because he's owed a lot of money. I think it's like 33 million next year and a lot more in the next three years after that. If I was a opposing general manager, I, I definitely buy low on Simmons. I realize your team has to be built around him. Like there kind of has to be four other shooters on the court but I, I don't think we should write Simmons off as like, he's just never going to perform in the playoffs. But the other guy, obviously on a much more micro level that I was pretty disappointed in as Chris brought up as a Nuggets fan is Aaron Gordon. So against the Suns, he had a pretty good game one. He was really the only Nuggets player that did much, but in the next three games, single digit scoring in all three games. And this was also a theme in the regular season. He just didn't play the minutes that I would assume that like an Aaron Gordon acquisition, like I thought he'd play like 35 minutes a game. I think he averages like 25, 26 minutes a game. He just, I don't know. He just wasn't impactful enough to really stay on the court. And they paid a pretty hefty price. I mean, RJ Hampton and a future first round pick to get him. And he was pretty underwhelming. So hopefully, so he has one more year of his contract. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I was definitely expecting more for this acquisition that was supposed to be I know that Murray was healthy when they acquired him but he was supposed to make more of an impact than he actually did yeah I mean I also had Ben Simmons written down with the 34.2 percent free throw shooting in the playoffs with a situation like that you you kind of have to think like well what what did he do in the regular season and so in the regular season he shot 61.3 percent from the free throw line which is much better and especially with shooting a lot of the times you got to think it's something mental going on. And there was clearly some mental things going on because he just could not, he, he didn't want the ball in his hands at all. Um, but he brought up the, the lack of offensive game he had. And like, if you watch the games, he clearly didn't want the ball in his hands. That's just, that's just not going to cut it. And so I think he needs a, a mental reset, so to speak. And, uh, I do agree with buddy that 
I don't think you should just toss him away and say, well, he's useless. Obviously is very talented defensively and offensively. I think this off season is a good chance for him to, to work on his shot. I do think that he himself has probably come to terms with the fact that he has to work on this. And if he doesn't, then that's his job. Um, the other player who I have been a little disappointed in, despite his team being in the finals, is Giannis. I feel that, it, well, his shooting has, has definitely struggled. Um, everyone has probably seen the, the clips of his free throw woes and the, the 10 seconds. And the other thing that he's really struggled with is his three-point shot, while at the same time taking around the same percentage of his shots at three-point range. Um, in the regular season, he shot 30.3% from three. And the playoffs, that is down to 18.2%. For free throws in the regular season, he shot 68.5%. And in the playoffs, that's down to 53.7%. Similar to Ben Simmons, I, I do think a lot of these things are mental. I mean, you can obviously have a bad stretch here or there, but I wish that Giannis was more aggressive. I mean, he's a seven-foot freak of nature who can basically Euro-step into the lane and dunk on anyone. I really do wish that he was more aggressive. And I, I hope we see him... Uh, in the finals. I know we're going to talk about the finals soon, but I do hope we see him in the finals. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Those are, I mean, Simmons and Giannis, those are probably the two most athletic players in the league. Interesting to see them both struggle more mentally, which is, which is interesting to watch as a fan, but I think Simmons is gone. I am friends with a 76ers fan and obviously we know Philly has no patience. I think he's gone and, and it'll be interesting to see what Daryl Morey, if he does go, what, what he can get for him. We actually had Daryl Morey come speak to our club HSAC earlier this semester, and that was that was really interesting. But it'll be interesting to see what he can get back for Simmons if they do go down that route of of dealing him away. We we started to kind of touch on a little bit with things like the injuries, but now we can fully get into it. So I think this is one issue that has relevance beyond the season is like the amount of injuries that we've seen and how it really has affected the playoffs. And so excuse me if we're just going down this like laundry list. This will be pretty quick, but. It'll help remind our listeners about all, all the injuries to star players throughout the season that kind of spilled over into the playoffs. So LeBron James earlier in the season, then Anthony Davis on the Lakers missed a couple of games against the Suns. Luka Doncic had a little neck thing, which affected him a little bit in one game. Not a big deal. Clippers obviously missed Kawhi for the end of the Jazz series and all the Sun series. That was one of the biggest. The Nuggets missed Jamal Murray. Sorry, buddy, for, you know, for a while. CP3 was hobbled a little bit in the Lakers series, and he missed two games against the Clippers with COVID protocols. Donovan Mitchell was a little bit hobbled too, but more importantly, the Jazz missed Mike Conley for the whole playoffs. The Celtics didn't have Jalen Brown. The Nets might have had the worst of everybody, missing two of their three stars for part of the series, uh, James Harden and then Kyrie Irving at the end. And the three of them didn't play together much. I think it was eight games or something the whole season. And Bead, he has perennial injury problems and he was hobbled a little bit. Trey Young missed two games after stepping on referee's foot. And then Giannis obviously missed the last two games of the series. And it does seem like he's going to play game one or he'll be reasonably ready to go for the start of the finals. But basically the long-winded question is a lot of people are blaming this abnormal number of injuries in the playoffs due to the shortened regular season, the lack of rest between days. So I'm curious do you guys think that this is a reason for the increase in injuries? And if it is, or if there's some other reason, what do you think the NBA can do in the future to kind of prevent this from happening and kind of, you know, deteriorating some of the playoffs and missing all these um, star players? It's a very interesting question to ask. And it's interesting to like hypothesize different reasons, but 
it's obviously hard to like come at it from a analytical lens and like have a hypothesis and actually test it out because yeah, there's just so many different factors. Obviously the regular season was condensed and it also the players were under the impression that it was going to start in January around MLK weekend until like four weeks before. And, and the league was like, no, we're starting December 22nd. So that was also part of it. I, I think that players, you know, they're, they're professional athletes, their body is how they get paid. So they probably had the schedule of how, how they were going to get ramped up until mid January. And then they hear like, Hey, we're starting December 22nd, which I think threw a lot of people off and yeah, just more back-to-back games. There were a few teams that had a bunch of COVID games that, that got canceled or postponed. And then they had super heavy second half of the season, like the Spurs, the Wizards and, and the Grizzlies all had a lot of games in a very short amount of time. One other thing I wanted to mention is that with all the COVID testing, it became more lax as the season progressed. But for the first couple of months, teams, if they had a game, so let's say there's like a Sunday game and it didn't start at, at 7 p.m., it started at like 4 or 5, they would have to get to the facility at like 6 or 7 a.m. to get COVID tested. And they could have had like flown in from a different city the night before or something like that. So I think, and this is also hard to test, but I think sleep schedules also were really affected by all the testing they had to do. And a lot of players don't live like right, right next to the arena either. But in terms of these rash of injuries we've seen in the playoffs, it seems like people are thinking about it. Like it's been more exacerbated by the fact that every single team has had at least one injury. And I don't know how it would be viewed differently if they're so like the final eight teams standing. So every team that won a first round game, they had like a starter or a key player miss at least one game of the second round series. And I just wonder how, like what the discourse would be if there were maybe four teams that were super banged up and four teams that were perfectly fine. You would say like, oh, Milwaukee is relatively healthy. Well, no, DiVincenzo like pretty much fractured his ankle and like is, is not playing. So like every team has something like that. I just wonder if people think it's worse than it actually is because it seems a little spread out with like one or two on each team instead of like one team having four starters out and a couple teams being completely healthy. My first response is, I don't know. As Buddy said, a really difficult question that, I mean, a lot of people we can hypothesize about, a lot of people can argue about. By the end of the day, there may not be a, a good reason or a single reason that we can sort of pinpoint I mean, I know I mentioned Kevin Durant earlier. I, with the later season, it gave players who were previously injured more rest than normal. I don't know if that might have helped in terms of re-injury. Um, but at the same time, obviously coming off of the last season so quickly for teams like LA, I don't know if maybe that had an impact on, on LeBron James, for example, right? Maybe his ankle wouldn't have been tweaked as bad. The high ankle sprain he had wouldn't have been as bad if he was if his body was in slightly better shape. Who knows? So I'm sure that did play a factor. And then as Buddy said, I mean, travel and rest is huge for anyone who's traveled a lot. You probably know it, it really takes a toll on your body in conjunction with not being able to rest at, you know, regular times. I, I can definitely see how that would lead to, to more injuries, but at the same time, a lot of the injuries we have seen have sort of been kind of like freak injuries, Trey young stepping on the ref's foot. Can you really attribute that to, you know, increased COVID protocols? Like probably not. But I, I do think that the statistical increase is probably due to some of the, a lot of the uh, irregularities of, of this season. Um, I definitely would not eliminate that possibility. Being interested in analytics, a lot of what you try to do is assign credit or assign blame. You know, if a player makes a certain pass and the player makes a shot, how much credit do you assign to 
the passer, how much the shooter. In this case, I guess you're trying to parse out what are the different causes of the uptick in injuries. And while I think the shortened season and the COVID protocols might play some role, I don't really think it's as big as it seems. This is kind of just a theory that I've thought of, and there might not be true at all. But I think this increase in load management and players, you know, not playing a lot of games, as many games as they usually do, playing maybe fewer minutes. And when you go into the playoffs and you're playing, you know, every two days and you're playing max effort, more minutes, how can your body gear up when you're playing less minutes, less days, and not as high intensity, high effort during the regular season? It just seems like it's a recipe for injuries. Your body will not be ready to handle it. And just because I'm a tennis player, I'm going to put this in tennis terms, but if I practice and play only one set in practice, but the match is two out of three sets, or in the pros, they play three out of five in their grand slam sometimes, there's no way that you, if you just practice one set much shorter, your body's going to be able to handle a two out of three or a three out of five set match. It's just, it's not going to happen. So these players, I think that are on this like load management and playing less when they get to the playoffs, it's going to hit some of them. So that's my theory. I don't know if it's necessarily true, but I I do think that other athletes and people, you know, play sports would agree that, okay, how can you train minimally? And then for the most important thing, expect not to see, expect not to get injured. So I'm curious if there will be kind of a backlash against the load management or a reevaluation of it by teams. And yeah, I think that should wrap up our NBA playoff recap episode, at least, you know, for the first three rounds. I think we did a a pretty good job, you know, revisiting our survivor pool, doing a deep dive into some of the most interesting series of the opening rounds, some of the best player performances, some of the most disappointing ones. And then talking about the implication of injuries this year and how it affected this year's playoffs and what the NBA can do moving forward. And yeah, I encourage you to check out the next episode in which we will preview the NBA Finals matchup between the Phoenix Suns and Milwaukee Bucks. Again, thanks to Buddy and Chris for joining me today. You can follow Buddy on his Twitter at BuddyScottNBA and check out his new podcast called Buddy Ball, and check out Chris's article on our website at harvardsportsanalysis.org. Also, you can check out all of our other articles on our website and follow us on Twitter at Harvard underscore sports. Thanks, and see you on the next episode.